Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 73, Sir Valiant himself, or Valiant himself, maybe not Sir, I'm not sure, Um, Valiant himself is a frontman for Valiant Thor, who uh, I saw when I was living in Minnesota, and uh, I was out there you know, for four years or so, and I went to Triple Rock in Minneapolis to see The Sword, and this band opened up for him and fucking kicked my ass. I kept looking at my friends just going, what the fuck? And it was, they were fronted by this crazy dude with long hair and a beard and no shirt, and a pot belly, denim jeans, I think, and wrestling boots. And uh, he put on a hell of a show, worked his valiant himself, worked his ass off, and really got the crowd whipped up. And there was a a certain amount of um, commentary, there's a certain amount of, like, stuff being said, somewhat, I guess, philosophical or political, but delivered in it, I'd have to say, maybe now knowing that the guy's from a rural town in North Carolina, that... uh, it's a little, it's homespun. Might be some, some Will Rogers in there, some, uh, maybe some Jack Black, I don't know. One of those, like, kind of fringe, um, thinkers and philosophers of the Americans, of the Americas, who, uh, you know, you don't think of as being formally educated, although Valiant is. Yeah, I think he has a PhD. He's been an art teacher and many other things, but what he has to say comes across in a, uh, good old boy kind of way, but not the bad kind of good old boy, the good kind of good old boy, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation with him, I think we talked about music a whole lot, we talked about Norman Lear sitcoms, and apparently those were a big influence on him as, as they were on me growing up, um, and it's kind of interesting to think that we had primetime television that was so enlightened back in the day, in the 70s early 70s, mid 70s, was fairly enlightened time really, even though it was sort of the hangover of the 60s, there was good stuff on TV, I felt like, you know, there's there was value, there was a lot of value in being blue collar, you know, we sort of had a, a nice kind of a prole, a word, you know, sort of a celebration of the proletariat kind of thing in, in America in the 70s, there, there wasn't, it, I don't, I really feel like it wasn't, there wasn't this class thing that really got ranked up in the 80s where everybody wanted to be rich. It seemed like in the 70s, uh, more of a team kind of thing. And it's interesting how that connects to, in, in my mind, to Marvel Comics. I was reading about, uh, I mean, Valiant and I talk about comic books, especially that era of comic books. I think he referred to it as a Bronze Age and 70s kind of political. I mean, they weren't political, but they had some um, awareness there was a social awareness to the comic books, Marvel comics at that time, and DC comics actually, but I mostly read Marvel. And we were, I was reading about Spider-Man 2, the movie, and thinking about that scene where he's like stopping the subway train, you know, holding on to, with his webs, and at the very end, of going off of this bridge, and then he collapses, and all of the people that he just saved on the train catch him and 
they pull him back into the train and they lift him up and they carry him over their heads and lay him down on the back and and that sort of message you know that like yeah there's there is a guy who's a superhero but like when everybody kind of gets together and, and uh, joins forces that there's, there's quite a lot of power there too and I feel like that message was in around me a lot as a kid in the 70s and around is in the comic books I read and it was um, really strong message to me and it's not as strong or I'm not aware of that message these days the way I was then I mean we have a pathological narcissistic thing going on in this culture Um, everybody wants to be a big shot nobody wants to be the humility of working as a team and being part of well I'm not saying not nobody but it's not celebrated okay I mean sweeping generalizations but that concept is not celebrated putting our egos aside and working towards the greater good, I think we are afraid that we would wind up either turning into Borg or um, some kind of strange, faceless, massive, dour, gray, communist country. But you know, there, there is another alternative. There is an alternative where that is actually a, a joyful undertaking to be part of a team, to help other people out. And to support other people. I've needed a fuckload of it lately myself. And I've been really grateful that there have been people around that I can connect to. And, you know, and get reminded of. It's, you know, the more I make it about me, the more I suffer. You know, so much of human suffering is this desire. Fear and desire. Dukkha. All that shit that's just got to be about your paying too much attention to yourself. And being too much about yourself. And it's... to reduce that the demands of the ego and like you know chip in participate contribute be a part of a team or a band as this guy is um i'd like to be in a band again i'd like to get some people to come over here and play music with me but i have much luck at the moment not really trying that hard either but in the meantime i put this stuff out there for you guys so that you can contemplate it contemplate two guys talking and uh you know it's it's great this uh, by the way you know valiant lives in richmond now and he he wasn't when i saw him in minneapolis i don't think he was living somewhere in north carolina and so he's a newer richmond son and we are glad to have him so let's get on into it these these microphones aren't in the same class as each other here this one's a little better than that one but uh, that's why I get this one. I'm better. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> so it's good to meet you. So are we going to refer to you as Valiant, Valiant himself. Him- himself. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So how, how long have you been living in Richmond now? <clears throat> uh, about two and a half years. Really? Yeah. Right after the – I moved here right after the barbecue that Valiant Thor played. Like I guess it was. it would have been three years ago now. So you, you just loved it so much when you came up here to – play that show well i had been looking for a spot to move to for a while because uh valiant thor guys were starting to have babies Mm. and we had i literally hadn't lived anywhere since 2005 since i um i crashed only one of us who had a place was our drummer lucian and he was living in chapel hill so if we were like around holidays or if we were recording or writing before we would go record somewhere we would uh, crash at his spot, but none of us had a place to live besides him since 2005, and I, I had lived in Chapel Hill, 
And so I was trying to decide on a place and I didn't, I had no idea I would ever move here. And I had a bunch of different spots, uh, in mind, but, um, my dad was kind of sick and I needed something close by to him. And, um, and it just came out to be that this was like a perfect spot between, Mm -hmm. uh, where my girlfriend was living in DC and I was in chap and kind of staying in Raleigh. Um, and so it was like the perfect place in mm-hmm. between those. And, uh, and there was a lot of, I don't know. The, I just fell in love with the, the city because it had, it was, it seemed like it was just the perfect situation at the right time, right place mm-hmm. at the right time kind of deal. There was a, uh, it was close to in proximity to my friends, but you know, you know, well, first of all, it was when I would be off tour, you know, forever and having not lived anywhere. And then you know, I stayed in Raleigh for nearly a year trying to find a place. And I was crashing with some friends and everybody wanted me to party. Yeah. And I, don't, I can't drink all that much anymore because uh, when I gave my dad a kidney, I just, oh, I'm not supposed to do, not supposed to get wasted anymore. Yeah. And so this, this was close enough by to everybody because like out of all the different years, of wherever I've been, it seems like a lot of my friends either migrated to New York or Raleigh. Like the bulk of my friends live in both of those places. And so this was close enough to Raleigh to be able to be away from there. And if I was going to have time off from the road to be able to make art, which yeah. is my other love. What kind of art? I, everything. I mean, I do painting, drawing. Uh, I was did a lot of printmaking in the past, etching and uh, intaglio prints and stuff like that. Um, but you know, then, then again, like just, just the best spot it's, mm-hmm. there's New York, everything on the East coast is close to here. You got the mountains are close to here. The beach is close to here. The beautiful river. I love the James. I mm-hmm. love the vibe that it gives. And there's a bunch of good, there's a killer music scene here. I had a lot of friends, uh, that I met over the years or either I knew from college that play in bands or played in bands here and that, you know, kind of moved here. And it was also the first time I'm living out of North Carolina, so mm-hmm. it was close enough by to still have that vibe, but it's radically different. Uh, I think uh, anyone who uh, is a transplant here could tell you when someone's like, "Your accent's funny. Where, what part of Virginia you're from?" You're like, oh, "I'm not from Virginia," <laughs> but I do enjoy the how people are really proud of their history here. Yeah, I enjoy history. Um, Everybody has like killer stories about their, you know, the places around. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It had a, a lot of, a lot of, went, a lot went into the decision because mm-hmm. I, li- I turned down New Orleans, I turned down uh, uh, Baltimore, I turned down a lot of spots, but I did I, something about Richmond got me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, it is a great town. I've lived a few other places. I, I lived in New York for a little while and lived in Southern California and. And Twin Cities up in Minnesota, which is the first place I actually saw your band of all. Oddly enough, yeah, at the uh, Triple Rock. I was there to see either COC or Weed Eater. I can't remember. Did you play bo- on both of those shows? We or? played with COC there for sure. COC and Torch. Or maybe, did you play with um, Ultimate Dragons? No. There? Not Ultimate Dragons. The Sword. We played with the Sword there yeah, as that's well. Ultimate Dragons, their old name when they were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you know that JD used to live in... Richmond. Yeah, we talked. We spoke about that, but I wasn't living here when they lived here. Mm -hmm. But um, their old drummer Trivet was from here as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he worked with us for a while. Um, Did he play with you guys? No, no. He just he just uh, uh, I guess he moved 
to, back to Charlottesville and uh, and when we would put out our last record, he was helping us out with that with different people. Uh, he was trying to figure out whether he was going to get into management or, um, you know, uh, booking bands or mm-hmm. what. And he just wanted to, he just needed something to do, and we needed help. And so he started putting us in with people that he had worked with before. Oh yeah, like tour stuff. Yeah, you're saying, yeah. Uh, what I was going to say though is uh, I've lived all these different places, and and there's just something. I mean, I, of course, I grew up here. You know, I grew up in this neighborhood. I, my parents bought their house in like 1972. Awesome. But that thing you said about you know stories. I mean, this place has got these weird collection of stories. It's this kind of gothic place. You know, there's a lot yeah. of like strange shit that's gone on here. And it was total fucking empire at one point. You know, it was like shit was really. It was one of the first places where shit was really happening. You know, in America for yeah. for the Europeans anyway. For sure. You know, and it's you know now they've been ripping up the streets to do this. Um, for the bike race, you see the cobblestone under there, and you're like, God damn, you know, this whole city would have looked like fucking Amsterdam or something. It was like all yeah. cobblestones, carriages I mean, everywhere, going around. Everywhere, shit. even yeah. on like Lee Street, you, yeah. know, you can see the cobblestone over there. And that's, you know, the only place it's uncovered is down in the bottom. So mm-hmm. it's funny whenever you see them rip it up and you see the cobblestones, you're like, wow, that's everywhere. That was everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Some of it was brick too. Like, it would man. be cool if it was still like that. It would. It'd be hell on tires, but. Yeah, it'd suck the drive on it, but it would look really cool and probably be a great, like, kind of draw to the city. But they've. I don't know. It's weird. The selective way that they've preserved and torn shit down. It's real patchwork around yeah. here. It's not like, I mean, it's partly because it burnt during the Civil War, but it's not like Alexandria where they've really got a lot of that stuff, you know, that's been there ever since. The or like Colonial Williamsburg or yeah. other places that, yeah. But I, I still I still dig the, I mean, you see newer like condo type things go up, and you but you do see in places like, Whereas in downtown Charlotte and in Raleigh and especially in like a place like Durham where you can see it happening down here where they take a lot of the older buildings and they're mm-hmm. turning them into lofts and stuff. Yeah. And over like now in uh, Scott's Edition, yeah. they're doing the same thing. So I appreciate that when a city doesn't just, you know, tear down a bunch of stuff and make new ugly condos, but like uses what it's got mm-hmm. because a lot of those buildings are still, you know, especially the big giant brick ones. Why tear them down? Much better built. You can turn them into like something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We got lucky. There's a bunch of old, um, meddling blue hairs got involved in the seventies and, and started the historic Richmond foundation and made it. So you can't fuck do that shit. You can't, you can't tear shit down very easily. You also can't alter it very easily. You gotta pass the board of architectural review if you want to fuck with any of these houses around oh, here. Oh yeah, I um, you know. <laughs> when we I was like involved with painting the Guar Bar when it was getting built, and um, they couldn't even change the windows. They could mm-hmm. only paint it four different shades of red. <laughs> they couldn't change the windows or anything. It was, uh, and it was, and you know they had to each each step required like a board of review and <laughs> and a and a whole. Co- collection of brand, people to decide man. and see if it was cool or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, you grew up in Chapel Hill? No, no, no. Um, on Earth, I grew up in uh, oh. near um, a, a small town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. What was that town called? Lincolnton. Yeah. How many people? I don't I have no idea. Ham, a few thou? A lot maybe. of a lot of rednecks. Yeah. Um. Looking back on it, it's really cool. A lot of cool. Um, no, not a lot, but it's it's cooler. It's cooler now. Um, 
I think I wanted to get the hell away from there when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know, I don't think I know for a fact I wanted to, but, um, it is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of farmland and, uh, and everything around it. But it just was one of those places that had it at the time, especially the part that I lived in was really closed minded, really, uh, had a lot of the stuff that you're hearing about now with, uh, with the Confederate flag stuff. Mm-hmm. There were people there who were just, you know, unbelievably racist and, and, and old minded way mm-hmm. of thinking. Um, and it was just, it just bummed me out. I didn't want anybody to know where I was from. And how did you, like, you know, we're a product of our environments, you know, and like how did, what gave you the perspective when you were living there to know that that wasn't the way to be, you know, I what watched was it? a lot of good times and, yeah. uh, and the Jeffersons. When yeah. I grew up. Right. And Norman I, Lear. I, I literally <laughs> believed that that had something to do with it mm-hmm. because there wasn't a lot of black dudes that went to school with me. But when I was five years old, the only black dude in school, his name was Eddie Watkins and he was my, my good buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, felt like I you know shows like that they if you were young they prepared you for Mm -hmm. racism and things like that and there's a particular episode that I remember and it it resonates through my whole life now because there was an episode where George Jefferson lived in the you know the apartment building right Mm -hmm. the nice one that he had gotten out of this is after he's got his own show right yeah yeah he's got he's out of the ghetto he's he lives uh you know he's got the laundry mat business and uh, there was like a rich white guy that lived in that same building, and uh, he was a, a bigot, mm-hmm. and he had a son, and uh, they had, you know, they said bigoted shit throughout, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning of the episode, and it turns out that the man needs a kidney really bad, and uh, and then later on in the episode, it, like George Jefferson happens to be a perfect match for him, so he he gives him the kidney, and then at the end of the show. Uh, they say the the procedure worked. You can go down, you can go in and see him, Mr. Jefferson, and he's hesitant, but he goes in to see him, and uh, they pull the curtain back, and uh, the the man's laying there, and he looks it up, and he goes, uh, you know, if I if I knew they were, he said they should have let me die rather yeah. than give me the kidney of a n word, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they close the curtain back, and George Jefferson drops his head, and he's like kind of about to walk out, and the little boy who had been like acting like his dad, influenced mm-hmm. by his dad to be a bigot, saw saw that, and he runs over, he's crying, and he runs over to George Jefferson, and he's like, thank you for saving my dad. I'll never be like him. I'll never be a bigot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my life, <laughs> never. We must be about the same age. That show was very, yeah, the, all of those shows, the ones that Norman Lear made were very influential. Yeah, I, I mean, the same yeah. thing happened on, like, all of them. And mm-hmm. I watched, you know, every one of those shows, Sanford and Son, uh, I mean, they were all a little bit before my time, but mm-hmm. I guess they were all in syndication, and, and yeah. we, we just watched every single, you know, like if your parents worked, whatever, you stay with your grandfather, and you mm-hmm. watch, at night, you watch the, the syndicated shows, whatever they were. I, I remember, you know, All in the Family, Jefferson's, and they all dealt with racial issues, mm-hmm. and so... Um, and they dealt with it without kid gloves. I mean, they really, they, 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 they people talked to each other the way they actually talked to each other, I mean... Yeah, Jefferson were, came out of Archie Bunker. He was like the neighbor yeah. there or something like that. And the two of them called each other names. And, and we – and yeah, uh, let's see. I remember there being a lot. It was even – I mean, George Jefferson didn't do it a lot. That was just one that stuck in my head. But The Good Times was a heavy show. Mm-hmm. They were dealing with it every day on mm-hmm. a daily basis. I mean, they had pimps. They had, you know, 
hustlers. They had, you know, just everything that you could deal with in that show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I watched them all. There was, there was ones that weren't as big, you know, or maybe not as big, but like Barney Miller, you know, the, the, the cop comedy shows mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, yeah. And then the ones that came on. And Fish, when I, the spinoff, spinoff from Barney Miller. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> there was a ton of them. And then you even had ones that dealt with those issues like, um, uh, not one day at a time. What was the one with Nell Carter? Give me a break. Yeah. And, you know, she adopted the little white boy. I mean, all of them had stuff like that. Different mm-hmm. strokes. Mm-hmm. Mr. Drummond What's adopted uh, two black kids. I mean, it was, you know, anything that dealt with all those shows talked about it. It was mm-hmm. a big thing, you know, at the time, like civil rights. But then it got to a point, I guess, you know, later on, no, they didn't, unless I'm just crazy or I don't watch that much television anymore. Shows became about being about nothing, like yeah. Seinfeld and stuff yeah. like that. And then they they didn't think about those kinds of things. They didn't talk about those kinds of things. Maybe there are some out there, but uh, you know, well, it was it was this transition from the seventies to the eighties that um, the eighties got. It's kind of like in the seventies we were not the country wasn't that you know had gone through all this shit from the sixties and all of that and was processing all that and was feeling kind of humble yeah. and like. The president was Jimmy Carter, you know, and it was a completely different sort of vibe here that people wanted to look at this kind of stuff. You could, you know, you could have dialogues about this stuff. And then 80s came, Reagan came, and it was like we basically TV turned into propaganda, you know. It's yeah. like we're all good. We're rich. Everybody's yeah. rich. We're all happy. It's yeah. fine. You know? And they tried to affect this this fake facade of having – you know the nuclear family again from the fifties. The two, mm-hmm. the house with the garage and the kids and the the dog and everything's good. Let's go to church and mm-hmm. we'll be, we'll go to college and heaven and all that shit. Right. <laughs> I mean, there was some shit like uh, family ties. It was kind of you know like you had the super liberal like ex hippie parents and the you know the kid who wanted to be a you know CEO and stuff. And yeah. but the issues were more about. Yeah, they were, I guess they transferred the issue from not being about race to being more about class and right. You know, and, and you know, and, and then again, it's it's what you saw. You know, what mm-hmm. like you said, what what you were, you say we are product of our environment. I say, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody's influenced by either their habits, beliefs, and desires. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, habits, beliefs, and desires. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where I find significance. Where mm-hmm. people either de- like people say people do things and are the way they are because of some kind of autonomous universal or transcendent thing or either you are you believe that we do things because of our own habits beliefs and desires what we've seen what we've mm-hmm. heard who who you know and I, that's where i that's where i go mm-hmm. um i think that's just how the, everything works that's how everything is mm-hmm. yeah I, I i agree i mean my parents are very different from me i mean my dad grew up on basically northern virginia in the country like on farms and stuff and you know, his dad was a plumber and built everything he had himself, grew up on a farm himself. You know, my dad p- delivered newspapers to save the money to go to college, went to the army, did all this stuff. But he bought a house in Churchill, you know, in in the 70s in Virginia and exposed me to shit that he was never exposed to. You mm-hmm. know, my mom was a debutante from Windsor Farms. You know, both of them thought this looked like a great place to live and ended up with kids that had completely different awareness i mean not only was i watching those shows i was going to these richmond public schools then and that was the message all through the school too yeah. you know it was very uh, inundated in it but so you started to see that there was another way outside of lincolnville yeah <laughs> might as well call it that. And, and what is it called Le- it's lincolnton lincolnton okay <laughs> it's okay and then did you start gravitating to, what did it like 
comic books or sci-fi or art or absolutely music? comic books absolutely sci-fi absolutely music I think at a certain point I stopped spending all my money on comic books and started spending half my money on comic books and half on tapes cassettes mm-hmm. and you know and records I still got records from my dad but I was big into tapes and then girls came along and I pretty much just did tapes and girls yeah and then <laughs> and then college came along and it was back to comic books and, and beer and records and beer <laughs> That's it. That's pretty much the same trajectory. What were the What were the comic books you liked? Uh, um, when I was younger, I, I would get anything I could get because mm-hmm. there wasn't a, a culture of comic book shops. You just, you know, I bought my first comic book at a Seven Eleven, which they don't have in North Carolina anymore. Actually, I think they just like they're bringing Bojangles back up here. Mm-hmm. I think they're I think they are starting to get Seven Elevens back down there now. But I bought uh, West Coast Avengers number four, um, and but. I, you know, I would read anything. We go to flea markets and yard sales. There's a there's a news there's a uh, a guy from uh, Charlotte who's like the big news anchor there now, and mm-hmm. he was he was like a, a you know man on the street when I was younger, but now he's like the head guy. His name's John Carter, and uh, it's weird. And he uh, he like uh, he loved John Carter, I guess, when he grew up. So he grew up collecting comics. Him and his brother, the John Carter Warlord of Mars. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he um. And even though he was a television guy, he saw, like basically his brother got their whole. I went to a yard sale and bought a ton of their stuff when I was super young, like old school stuff, like Bronze Age era stuff mm-hmm. that was right before I was old enough to buy it. But mm-hmm. that was my favorite stuff. You know, we're talking um, uh, Master Kung Fu, all that early, mm-hmm. mar- all that seventies Marvel stuff. Yeah, I yeah. love all that. Power Man and Iron Fist it, and perfect. Nova yeah, Luke, and yeah, all that. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're right on. You're mm-hmm. right on the same page with me. And um, then the actually that guy, his brother, they were from Lincolnton. I didn't know this, but um, they they started the first comic book shop in my town, and um, I bought, you know, went in through the '90s with all the special covers and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and then the bottom kind of dropped out. But um, in college, I didn't get anything but like independent stuff, and I read um, Preacher. It was a Vertigo stuff, Preacher, mm-hmm. and then got into Why the Last Man, and, you know, pr- pretty much since then, I've only really Constantine gotten, Constantine like, Vertigo? Constantine was Vertigo. Yeah. yeah. Did you read those? I read some of it. I didn't read the whole thing. Lucifer was good stuff, mm-hmm. too. All that Vertigo stuff was really good, post, yeah. like, 90s and post That's a spinoff of DC, right? In yeah. Vertigo, yeah. 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 I, I'm the same way, I, like, started buying comic books at, um at the newsstand, you know, mm-hmm. where they have the rotating rack and they're just yep. sitting there flopping all over the place and shit. And you can't get them in sequence. So you got the terror. You read this one in a serial and like what happened before this would happen. After yeah. This, that's right? And see now, but now what's cool is being on the road and touring and stuff the last few years, I would go back and I picked out ones that I thought were great from when I was little, but I never, I would only be able to get like, you know, they never got them all. Mm-hmm. So you would just, you know, like you said, you get one in out of 10, maybe, and so I went back and I've collected pretty much the whole run of New Mutants, Excalibur, X Factor, 
West Coast Avengers because that was the first comic I ever bought. I was like, well, I'm going to – you can find them all for like 50 cents mm-hmm. or less than a dollar now anywhere. Like, yeah, which is kind of fucked up because old... I was collecting some of that shit right at the very beginning. Like I have the first 11 New Mutants and like yeah. uh, first three Alpha Flight. <laughs> and that's the other one, Alpha Flight. And mm-hmm. I have all the whole run Nobody of gives all a those. shit. They're like – they made bajillions of them. They're so yeah. good. They're though. good though. Yeah, but yeah. as far as like trying to sell them now or anything like – because I bought them in the 80s and I got them downstairs in bags. And yeah, I mean they're, they're not worth much. But they're great reading, yeah. and if and if you do have if you can get them all, my my hopes is to like get them all and then tr- you know sell them to some other somebody else who wants to read it and yeah. maybe get the the uh, the trade the versions trades, of them yeah. and put on the shelf because yeah. it just looks silly sitting there in those bo- in those poor white. I got boxes. them on my shelf down there, but I don't know if that's a good spot for them. They uh, I really like that John Byrne shit, you know, when he was doing Alpha Flight. And oh yeah, X Men and Next Men, and mm-hmm. he he's great. He's great. Does it seem to you that the, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, a lot of the Marvel movies that are coming out, is they're really, like, solidifying the Marvel cinematic universe. The feel is very much that Bronze Age thing to me. Like, it's got that, like, I just saw Ant-Man on Friday. Oh, and I it can't felt wait like, to see it. It's great. And it feels like they're really trying to get that feeling. It's kind of a cross between the feeling of the ultimate universe mm-hmm. stuff where they've tampered with shit a lot and that 70s era you know where it's a little i don't know what it is about like you know howard the fucking duck is uh, is available you know yeah. he's around in I'm, I'm, sorry, <laughs> I'm into it because uh i mean you watch those things and when you see the hulk just running up a building or whatever mm-hmm. it makes me feel like i did when i was like seven years old I just stand every time I'm in the theater and I yeah. see the Hulk. I stand up and I'm just like, yes, <laughs> yes. That so, fight between Iron Man and the Hulkbuster outfit and and the Hulk in that movie made me a little. I felt like I had just flashed back in time, like I was a kid. It was the most like pure excitement and joy I've had watching something in a long time, or just felt period. Yeah, you know, it's kind of amazing. They're doing a good job with that stuff. It's kind of weird that the DC stuff is, it's never felt the same to me. It's like, no. And I have feelings about all that. I just feel that they should hook it up to the television universe instead of the movie universe and let mm-hmm. it keep going because they're really doing something awesome with the, if you, I don't know if you watch the Flash or Arrow yeah, stuff. Watch both of those. It's mm-hmm. so good. And they keep bringing up all these old school characters that have mm-hmm. never been in any movie or anything. Mm-hmm. And they do such a good job with it. And now, you know, they're redoing it for, I, I mean, I'll see Suicide Squad. I've seen all the, I've, I thought Green Lantern was horse shit and he's one mm-hmm. of my favorite characters. I thought that the Superman, the Man of Steel, I kind of liked it. Um, wasn't the best thing ever, but it was it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But the and all the Batman's I've liked, but that trailer, that trailer <laughs> for Batman versus Superman looks so fucking terrible. <laughs> I can't even imagine that kid who looks like the ripoff Michael Sarah being Lex Luthor. Man, that's oh yeah, that's what is very weird. And the Batman, there's no and like, Batman in armor Dan, trying what is to that fight. Kid's name uh, fuck. Uh, it's not my. It's um. I can't. Think Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. 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 He's mm-hmm. he looks terrible in that. No disrespect, <laughs> but he looks like garbage. I don't understand why that he's in. And that. And in yeah. the fact that Batman's got he's like trying to look tough with armor on versus Superman. I'm sorry, dude. That's it doesn't make any sense unless your armor's made out of kryptonite. You're not. Well, you have, read the Dark Knight thing. I mean, this they're basically taking this from Batman did armor. 
Yeah, the Frank Miller thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, Batman made himself some armor. He did have he had Green Arrow with one arm show up and shoot Superman with a, a kryptonite arrow, and then he started kicking his ass with this armor outfit on. And yeah, the, that, which but, is yeah. why they're probably going to have Aquaman or Wonder Woman in there figuring yeah. it out. But I don't know. I still think it's I think it looks kind of like garbage. I'll still see it, but uh, I wish that they would not. Uh, and it might be a te- it might be a rights thing, like you know how uh, the cinema the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe can't meet up with the right X Men or X Men, Spider Man, yeah. Fantastic Four on one side, and that might be why. But it just seems silly to redo all those characters again when you have perfectly great, I mean, people playing playing them on television. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not sh- that shitty, you know. Yeah, that um, Smallville was was all right. You know, I, I, I never know. actually watched that. I was in, uh, didn't watch it, but I heard, I looked it up lately, and I saw how many characters they actually used on it. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I want to go back and watch the ones that had like Hawkman and stuff in it because they had I was the kid. Like, Why do the, they have Hawkman? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to introduce the Thanagarians in, I guess. You know, because they're still in the Smallville era. Yeah. Of it, so they got to move forward. In well, time. they're gonna have Hawk Girl. She's gonna get her own show. And then they just oh really? Wow. Yeah. I was just watching that Justice League Unlimited cartoon uh-huh. last night. Have you ever seen that? Um, I have a little adopted brother who watches it. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's, he's, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't annoy the shit out of me when he has it on. I'm into it. I'm not a huge fan of the animation, but like it, it they get all the fucking characters in there. That's I mean, cool. Like yeah, cowboy guy and the the knight guy. I forget what his name is, but I mean every DC character they've ever had is on that show. That's awesome. I have to check it out. Even the stuff, I guess, they absorbed at one time from, like, Pacific Comics or, I mean, the Blue Beetle, like, yeah, PC question mark, the shit that then went and was the Watchmen and all that. So comic books, and did you start drawing yourself at yeah, that point because of comic books? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, you're you're just, you, habits, beliefs, and desires. The thing that you're told you're good at, you usually start to do. Mm-hmm. You're influenced by those things, and I think in this around the same time, like, kindergarten or first grade i won an art contest like a you know they give you a little blue ribbon here you go you're good at this oh i'm good at this mm-hmm. all right i'll keep doing it mm-hmm. um so that's what i was pushed into i wish i was pushed into playing instruments i'm very you know like the things i think that even if you're good at some things or told you're good at some things or people like what you do you know uh at certain things, I think you can always be. I, I admire the stuff that I can't do that other people can do. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. Te- totally jealous. <laughs> yeah, but, but more, I, I admire people who can play drums and guitar and skateboard and and surf really well and do all these things that I would love to be able to do. But I just, my brain's not. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I make excuses like, oh, I'm left-handed. I can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. I don't. Maybe it's that I don't have the attention span, or I never gave the time to it, and I don't. Even though I say I want to, and I, I sit there and try, just you know, there's certain things you just can't ever, uh, can't ever get it right. You know, it's it's weird. Like, I, uh, I mean. As far as like skating and surfing and shit, I'm probably never going to do any of that stuff because mm-hmm. I f- just don't want to get fucked up. I'm I'm too old to get busted up like that. And like, but I, and all of my friends were playing music when I was like a teenager and in my twenties. My my best friend was a guitar player and he was like a shredder. He could you know he was really into all of the '80s metal guys and like Dokken and Rat and all that stuff. He could play that stuff when he was like 16. You know, and like he gave me this PV guitar and I fucked around with it a little bit. And I was like, fuck this. I don't have the patience for it. And then 10 years, 20 years later, I lived in New York City 
and my friends invited me into rooms like this, you know, and I hadn't played anything. And they said, why don't you try the drums? And I just sat down on the drums and, try, you know, played some bullshit that I could just started trying to like, you know, the kids in the hall at, at Henderson used to play beats on the table. So like mm -hmm. I had some basic idea of separation of, you know, but I just started doing it. And then, and it was the permissiveness of my friends that were just saying, go ahead, you know, it's okay. You don't, you can suck, yeah. you know, that actually made it possible. Yeah. But it was when it was like, that's not your thing, Curtis. You don't do that. You're not the guitar player. You're not the drummer. You yeah. know, you're this. And in Richmond, I wasn't allowed to be a musician, but in New York, people encouraged me. It's the encouragement. It is. It's really I, I, big. I, it's like the Tinkerbell thing. Like, yeah, I highly <laughs> believe that. That's true. And if you have a spot like this, it's easier to, you know what I mean? It also is like, what what do you have at your disposal? Mm -hmm. If you have the tools at your disposal, you can make anything happen. It's true. Motivation is a fucking bit, bitch, though, because I really haven't. I mean, I got this shit in this room, and I put it all together because I wanted to get people to come over and I wanted to play. And this shit is just sitting in here most of the time, you mm -hmm. know, because it's – I don't like playing music by myself. I like it to be a conversation. I like to get together with people and jam and shit. And sure. I'm rusty. I haven't played in a band in 10 years, and all the people I know or have been playing in bands. They don't want to come over here while I figure out my tone, you know, and all that shit. I don't have anybody patient like that to yeah. jam with. You know, it is what it is. So <laughs> how did you, uh, so the, you got some affirmation with the, with the drawing and stuff and you, so you started working in the art and then how did it? Well, I actually also, um, I guess like growing up, like, you know, comic books, um, I, I got into m music for sure with buddies and, uh, and I got into writing poetry because there all of a sudden a coffee shop opened in our in our town and there was like um a bunch of bunch of dudes would write you know we liked whatever we were listening to everything from sex pistols to helmet to um you know the doors to sunny day real estate to mm -hmm. sam i am i mean we had you know, to, to Chardet, mm -hmm, we had everything mm -hmm. like across the board and we were in all in like Columbia house and BMG getting tapes mm -hmm. for like 12 of them for a penny mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to, and just write almost like writing lyrics. And, you know, there was a few bands, you know, maybe the other high school had a couple dudes in bands. And so we were trying to figure it all out, but we were all, it was all, you know, almost too late. We were all about to graduate, but we were all. Uh, writing poetry and going and doing spoken word at this at this and this is before spoken word went through I feel like spoken word turned into just like freestyle rap competitions mm -hmm. in a lot of places mm -hmm. but we were doing just legitimate spoken word there for a while and it was it was fun uh, and I went on to do that into college and then from there got asked to be why don't you just sing for my band from doing spoken word and I traveled doing spoken word like up up the east coast doing it and and i did that before i was ever even in any band mm. and then from that got asked to be in a in my first band and what was that uh lo-fi conspiracy i've heard of that band that was uh night wolf from valiant thor and me and a couple other dudes and were you part of, was that in like the chapel hill area that was that in greenville north carolina greenville I got around a lot of that area. I was in a band from here, but the guys in the band were from uh, Charlotte. What we're was called, it called? Devil Tones. Okay. And we would go down and play at Fat City. Yeah, and we did play there. We played in Greenville. We played in uh, Salem. 
Winston Salem. Winston Salem. We played in a bunch of different places down there. We knew. You know Sean Kershaw, the uh, fair, blind pharaohs. Did you know that guy? He moved up to New York, but I know who you're talking about. I don't think I knew him personally. Though. Or like the Jack Black dudes. Uh, yes, you know I know who those guys were. Like I got, we got in with them uh, doing the redneck uh, white trash luau. Did you ever hear of that? There was this guy Dolinger who had a hunting cabin in Mountain Lake, Virginia, and he'd invite all of these bands from North Carolina and whatnot. And we were just the one Virginia band because we were all the other guys in the band were from North Carolina. So I was the only Virginian in the band. But we would we went and played with them. It was like Buzz Sawyer and. uh, Oh yeah, Buzz Sawyer were good. Our good buddies of mine. Oh yeah, okay. um, V and and uh, Tarpley and and uh, Sluver. Sluver, yeah. Sluver, he he lives back up in Pittsburgh now. He oh lives, yeah. I just saw him in, I saw him in March. I guess I saw him in March. I just connected with him on Facebook because of uh, Eric Sugg. Um, he was. We were both commenting on a fr- on a thread there, and I just. But I loved those guys. They were like when they played White Trash Luau. It was like us and the Jimmy and the Teasers and them and like I don't know six six bands, you know. And you camp and like get drunk and do drugs and yeah. And and they got there. They just came straight up to play and got up on stage and like they were fucking amazing and like drummer was like it was kind of cold outside and they were all hot as shit and steam was just coming up off of them. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was a fucking great rock show. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were, um, I, I really didn't, I don't think I even met them until I moved to Chapel Hill, which was after, after grad school for me. Mm-hmm. Which was, what year was that? Um, 2003. Yeah, so I'd stopped running around down there right then, so we just missed each other. Yeah, and, uh, but I mean, I, we played, we played all over before that, like since, you know, from 2000, we were touring the States, but I, I just... Didn't run as into, Valiant Thor. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that was started in two thousand, but from ninety eight and ninety nine and early two thousand, we did Lofi. I don't know the hell I missed you guys because I was from two thousand to two thousand four. I was all over that area, like I knew all of the other uh, or knew of all the other bands, and that then Sean Kershaw would take the White Trash Luau thing and do it in New York as the Blue versus Gray thing we did like two of those and like the southern bands and the new york bands would play up there but yeah i mean there were there were bands that that just you know that i remember playing around that were a little bit you know like more established or had been doing it longer than us was what it really amounts to like you know wilmington had the needles Mm -hmm. charlotte had you know a ton of bands um but we were just trying to latch onto that and figure it out, and then mm-hmm. you know that that prompted the move from Greenville to get where we're like, well, everybody's going through Chapel Hill, through Cat's Cradle. If we go through, if we go to Chapel Hill and play with some bands there, then we'll get invited to tour out, mm-hmm. you know, because we were already doing it on our own. This is like pre MySpace days. We were right. like trying to, you know, this Network. is pre this is pre Google days, mm-hmm. like looking <laughs> it up on the on the, you know, taking taking like. Uh, addresses and stuff from bands that came through and and calling them up, you know, pay phoning them or I think around ninety, I think actually ninety eight, I might have got a cell phone. It was, and then I was the only one who had one forever, and I, we would use it only just to call to book a show. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it was like we were using Lycos as a search engine. <laughs> you look up Chicago Rock Club. <laughs> something like that 
So what was the like uh, the first time I saw Valiant Thor was um in uh in Twin Cities there and I was there to see Sword but and I like those guys a lot but you guys really like blew me away with like overall like performance energy like riffs and just everything like as you I would you know I put a, I actually made a, a Pandora station out of you guys and then I was really surprised at all of the bands that were associated according to Pandora like Fugazi and stuff like that and I'm kind of curious like what you know I don't know if you're like me like when I got into a band I was thinking concept a little bit you know not just it's like you can't just play straight rock you got to have an angle you know like did you guys put a lot of thought into that as you were developing Thor or were you writing the songs and then oh yeah they suggested themselves the characters and well no I mean well we were that's that's the whole the whole band is is a is a concept mm -hmm. the whole the whole deal but you know um it this is like hard to like decide what to say about it because we at a certain point we just decided you know like every we never did a interview um where we you know everyone wanted to know about venus for a long time but it was a certain point we were like, well, we we are from Venus, but we've lived here now for how many ever years, and there's a lot more heavy, sh pertinent shit to talk about. You know, like, if you want to ask me the same old question that I've been asked a hundred times, so I would just, you know, like, look it up. Just look up. You can find right. anything you want to find about me. I've made up a hundred thousand stories. I've told a hundred thousand truths. Mm -hmm. It's according to what you want, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to, do you want, to hear the real version or do you want me to tell you something that is like hey all right well we're from all right we're from north carolina and they're mm -hmm. like oh, i thought you're from venus well we are but you want to know you know where where we're from now we're from we live in north carolina or we don't live anywhere now we live on the road and mm -hmm. we did we lived in an rv for three and a half mm -hmm. years with and didn't stop literally um except for i mean we were we had thanksgiving at a fucking sizzler and in, in the <laughs> middle of uh where is that town? It's like somewhere in it's like in Arizona, but it's kind of off of forty down. Is no, it Sedona? Santa, maybe it's Santa Fe. It's close to Sedona. Sedona's fucking awesome. I love Sedona. Yeah, and 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 you you got the area, but it's one of the ones where if you go a little bit north, and there's like a college there, mm -hmm. and there's actually trees, right? <laughs> As opposed to rocks and sand, desert. Yeah. Um, but um. You know, so so we just it it wasn't like a thing that we were tired of talking about space and everything, but uh, we were a, a, a you know vehemently a, a political band for a right. long, for a long time, and there was a lot of heavy shit going on during that Bush era that really pissed me off. Mm -hmm. And there's stuff that pisses me off again, but you also you know now every day. But it's like, and then again, you know you you keep growing and you keep going. I don't know. I don't want to be pissed off every day, you know. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to get locked into conversations with people who have like a zillion uh opinions. Like everybody has opinions. You know, like you don't like what I have, you don't like what we sing about, then fucking listen well, to somebody else. It's a fucking opinion in a conversation. It's not somebody who's trying to you know, make you see their way. Oh, well and, that like, yeah, know, well that's like form you to their Yeah. Or you know, or it's just like when you talk about those things and nobody else does or where or if you're hanging out with and you go to a place where you're the only one that 
is saying something that they hear and they believe in, they want to talk your fucking ear off mm-hmm. about it. And it, mm-hmm. it gets to be a little much. So mm-hmm. it's not like we toned it down or anything, but it almost like it started sucking the life out of everything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you just want to, you know, like it's just like, look, man, I just want to rock. I just mm-hmm. want to come here, rock your fucking face off and, Hopefully you get drunk and happy. Maybe you mm-hmm. get laid tonight and you're just fucking, you thought you had the best time ever. Yeah. And so, and we still do those things, but it's like also a lot of crazy shit happens. So I haven't talked about any of that. Like we, I've been on a long break from this stuff and we still did Europe last year and we still did, uh, you know, we, but like we came to a point where the drummer's father passed away and then one guy had a baby and then. My father passed away. Another guy had a baby. Then another guy had a baby. And then the same guy got married. Mm-hmm. And it was like all these crazy life things happened to us. And none of that had happened within like 14 month span. And none of that shit had happened to us for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that's what made us go off the road. Yeah. And that's what made us like, uh, like then also like literally like our record came out. Our last record came out. We went on this tour. We had five months of tour, but like two weeks before the record came out, our label was like, we're not going to be a label anymore. Vocal was like, we're not going to be a label. Then we go on this tour and the end of the tour, uh, like two days, my dad goes in the hospital, then he dies and we still have a European tour to go. Like, Mm -hmm. so I hang out with my mom for a month. We go to Europe. I try to get my mind off of it. We come back and then we don't do shit for a little while. Yeah. And and we haven't. So you 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 donated the kidney to your dad, and then he died. We donated it to him like seven years ago. Oh, though. okay. So, so kept he him. he lived for like five years with it. Um, but there was you Is he know, diabetic or something? he was a bad diabetic. Yeah, that's what ultimately got him. It was a nurse's mistake. They get his. He went in the hospital for uh, food poisoning, and then he was about to get out, and they said, "Let's keep you overnight and make sure your fluids and levels are cool." And the, his sugar dropped, and a lady, a nurse, gave him. Insulin, uh, when it sugar drop, and if you you know about diabetes, it, you don't take insulin unless your sugar's too high. And right. They did that twice within eight minutes. It was like a bummer. Fucking hospitals, man! They just kill people. It's yeah. crazy. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. In like thinking about it now, it's like it was t- totally a mistake. Mm-hmm. What sucks is, you know. And this is more political stuff, but well, there's can, no. This is the, yeah. Say whatever. I mean, that's the idea. of This man, it's just no, truth, no, no. You know I, mean, I mean, I mean, re, get political. Re, yeah, I mean, that's that's what brought me back to it. You mm-hmm. know, after being tired of of being uh, mad and and everything, it's like it it comes to something hitting you again personally and waking you up and going, no, look, look what's still going on mm-hmm. is like uh, North Carolina's governor, like basically the worst governor that ever has existed. Not only did he uh, the, these are the things people knew about. This is the stuff you know about, but you're mm-hmm. like, what can I do about it? Kind of mm-hmm. stuff where he's fucking over minorities and teachers and mothers and women in general and uh, gays and everybody. Basically, everybody. You name a group, and and this governor has has effed them over. Mm-hmm. And then you find out those are the ones that are in the know, though. Mm-hmm. Then you have a a 
a hospital kill a family member and you realize that when he became the governor uh, because he was the the mayor in North Carolina I mean he was the mayor of Charlotte for a long time so a lot of his constituents were doctors and stuff and you, you think about all these plans that he finally gets to be governor and the first thing he signs when he gets in to be the governor is a, a, a cap on uh, wrongful death suits mm-hmm. so whereas if my dad had died like six months before he died or you know eight months before he died my mom would have been taken care of for ever uh whereas now you know say you're somebody dies in a charlotte hospital or something four hundred thousand dollars that's the cap you know he was in there for like less than three weeks you know what that doctor bill was over three hundred thousand dollars so fuck very frustrating them all fuck Mm. them all it's all Mm. a fucking scam it's all i mean um you better have some insurance and you better have it all figured out i got the fucking insurance and i'm still paying for a lot of shit i mean i pay 160 dollars a month and i got a 1500 dollars deductible you know i can't even it says like your you know your insurance covers this but really all it means is that they've only allow the doctor to charge so much for it so at least i get a discount when i have to pay for it out of pocket yeah. You know, but it's it it is infuriating all of that shit. And I mean, like, so you're you know, you're talking about how, like, you know, they're coming in and out of talking about the reality or talking about the story of the band or whatever. I mean, what I, I'm really interested in how all of these things go together, you know, like and and like, how do you you know, these phases of your life going, you start off, you can just fucking live out of a van. You can drink PBR all of the time and you can make just enough money to pay your rent and eat and buy your beer and you got some girl that'll put up with that shit. You don't have enough money to pay rent when you do it. That's why we didn't live anywhere forever. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I either I I basically just was like I don't want any more stress in my life than than I can basically manage. So like I want to work 3 days a week at a bar and and live in a place that I can pay for with that, you know. And then I want to just keep my life like that. But even if you try to control that, the shit starts happening, you know. Yeah. Like there's babies or there's death or there's life and as you grow up as a man you gotta start going all right now i gotta be more prepared for this kind of shit you know i gotta have something around me or something behind me and you gotta play that fucking game to some degree you know and that means accepting some of this bullshit that's going on i mean somebody actually i wanted to say this a minute ago somebody posted a thing angela davis said that i am no longer accepting the things i cannot change i'm going to start changing the things i can't accept you know which is pretty great because i've been on the mantra of you know it's not all of this shit ain't my business. I just got to take care of being a good guy. Yeah, you know, but you know, people have voices, people have influence, they got power. You know, you got to. It behooves you to step into the arena and like fight. Oh yeah, for shit. You know? I mean, yeah, and and like, and yeah, you when you get knocked down, sometimes it takes a little bit to get back up. Fuck but yeah, it I does. mean, uh, um. You you wonder you know like you get knocked down so much you wonder how if you can get back up sometimes mm-hmm. and then you go like you know the fucking then you realize that and I, and this is a story that happens a lot is that you know no I don't think anybody was fucking us on on purpose with our with our record label but they weren't doing the how they should have done it they definitely weren't reporting to uh, to sound scan and things like that that they should have been doing so now it looks like we. Never sold as many rec- any of the records that we sold. Like if you look uh, uh, look at Valiant Thor on paper, it looks like we're just some regular old schmo band that hasn't mm-hmm. done shit. You know, mm-hmm. and, and all these things don't don't really matter. Like that doesn't matter. Soundscan doesn't matter. Like you know, like you look at like a thing like MySpace, and you have like 
over 300,000 people who are psyched on you. Mm-hmm. And then it switches over to Facebook, and then I don't think we even have 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, whoa. Like, again, doesn't really matter because when you go out there, that's what counts. Right. You show up and you're up and there's like, you know, 35,000 people at a festival mm-hmm. or something or, or your show's packed with like 200 kids. And you're going, this is what matters. Mm-hmm. But it's still it still counts when you're trying to figure out another record deal mm-hmm. and people haven't done the, the back end, the paperwork. And, and, you know, it's like starting over again. So I don't really want to say Valley Thor starting over again, but we have dudes who have lives now and, uh, you know, and, uh, we still want to do it. So, uh, Aiden Thor and I are rolling on this net, this new tour, with and storm storm came after the, the night wolf my my frequent art and music collaborator since 97 uh has gone on to do art now uh with you know with his family in in Dallas Texas so we're rolling with some new guys you know not everybody that's in those places have quit but they have jobs that that won't allow them to be out and we just figured ah they're you know the old school it's just thinking outside of the box. The old school thing of like, ah, oh, this guy quit and this guy's not in and this guy's out. None of that shit really has to matter. You can have a revolving door mm-hmm. when, as long as you're, uh, as long as you are making the same kind of thing that you wanted to. Really, you don't even have to make the same thing that you. You just have to make what you want to. If you're making mm-hmm. something that you feel like is uh, as good as the name is, and you want to be out there with the people, then give it to them because yeah. they still want it. Yeah. You know? And uh, so. So we're we're headed back out. Um, this is a really it's very soon. I mean, it's I, I I guess I mean I worked for a record label in the '90s and I was just in shipping receiving there, but I learned a lot about the reality of it. And that was one of the big indie labels that had gotten they got to the point that Atlantic bought them out, bought forty nine percent, and that didn't go great. And then uh, Capital bought forty nine percent. They really tried to get their indie bands to that next level, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never really happened. Like, you just, that cachet of that kind of shit, you're not going to take John Spencer Blues Explosion really and make them, you know, mainstream. And they right. don't belong in the mainstream. That's not the point of them. Right. You know, even Liz Fair doesn't really belong in that, you know. No. But, um, but anyway, they tried a few times and they took other people's money to do that shit. And I learned a little bit about that. And then I went for this really, work for this really small punk label. Um, you know, we're talking about Matador? That was Matador. I worked yeah. for them packing boxes in the 90s. You know, I didn't have a – well, I guess you could say I had an important job. Sure. But, you know, I didn't have one of the sexy jobs there. Right. But it was a great education really sure. about punk rock in general because I never would have considered that what was going on there to be punk rock. And it, it really is the strain that kind of came out of New York if you're thinking of like Richard Hell and sure. Patty Smith and all those people. You know, But I didn't even know about that. I just was like punk rock is a is spiky hair and <laughs> piercings and – leather jackets but that's actually vivian westwood and malcolm mclaren and yeah. sex pistols you know but um anyway uh then i went and worked for this little tiny record label a punk label that just really put out like you know that kind of punk <laughs> you wear those costumes and all of that and we started out here and then we moved to southern california originally it's called tko records i don't know if you know them but i do they re-released all the anti-scene stuff and 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 at this point you know you could, you know, there you could do okay with that because the people who make those records really want a vinyl seven inch and they really want a vinyl twelve inch and they're just yeah. going to sell them on tour. And so a deal is like fifty fifty, 
you know, after we pay for the production and the, you know, pr- mastering and sure. recording and all that stuff. But, I mean, to me, it seems like these days you don't get a record. Fuck a record label. Like, what do they do for you? You know? I mean, if you were able 30 years ago to do it with a cell phone and whatever that search engine was, you know, you make the record yourself. It's your record. You make you have your own website. You make all those phone calls. You network. You go out there, and you get to keep all the proceeds. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like... The only real... The only two things that's worth a shit at all about those things... Promotion and distribution. Right. If you don't have either one of those things, you can make the best record Boy, in the whole has world. Distribution now, it's like you put a fucking MP3 on the. Yeah, you know. but I mean, I'm talking about I want vinyl records in people's hands. The one, the people who give a shit about us would want vinyl records. So you got your own website. You, you could, sell them straight you can, to the motherfucker. You absolutely yeah. can, and bands have done that and done that successfully. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think CKY would be a good uh, example of that. They just said fuck their label and started doing it themselves. Because mm-hmm. um, distribution, I mean, there isn't even. A, I mean, the only record stores are mom and pop record stores, who you could sell directly to them. I mean, we. When TKO was originally with More Dam out of San Francisco, and they, you know they always treat your records like chits, so yeah. you think it's bad for the band. The label sells a bunch of records to a distro like that, and they'll just send them back when they don't sell them. Yeah. You know, so that comes back out of what they paid you the previous month, and and the record stores are sending back your records so they can get other shit that's coming from More Dam. It's not even about your yeah. label. Yeah. So we started working with this guy who was working out of his garage in Southern California, and like. It's not that big a deal to put 50, you know, 10 records in a cardboard box and send it to Ozone or you yeah. know, the Quaker Goes Deaf or whatever. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, the, really it's just about if you can get somebody like, um, you know, somebody that has good distro in places out in like other countries. Like now at, at this point, we've never had distro in, in Asia mm-hmm. and we've never had good distro in, in South, uh, South America. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah. And so even though, like, you know, I did a podcast for about a year and a half. You hosted one. Yeah. And um, and it had, like, downloads, even though I was going through, uh, what was it called? I was going through a thing, and they would post it on Apple. We are still using Apple. I had, like, 45,000, you know, listeners uh, every time it was, you know, that's how many times it was getting downloaded. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, wow, what if that could translate into record sales? But then you're still going through apple well they don't take anything off it all you got to do is you put your own you put you get somebody to pay you to talk about shit on your you know at the beginning like you know your little sure. copy uh, what do they call that i don't know a live read but it's not live you just and somebody will sponsor your your podcast yeah we you have cash from that and, yeah and then yeah you talk about your records and where you can get them go to our fucking website and get order the record from us and we'll send it to you in the mail you know, yeah, and then you can download it from us. You know, um, I mean, if you got that kind of fucking attention with your podcast, I mean, that's all you need to really be your own your hub. You know, yeah. I don't have that kind of attention with this thing. It's a very Richmond thing. You know? Yeah, I but, mean, this was in like it was in like it was in like thirty nine countries, and it would be it would be it could work. It very very much could work, but it was all through the last couple of years and like. You know, you have to get it back together. You have to want to do it. You mm-hmm. have to have no, like, life drama going on. Right. Um, so, like, we haven't worked on a new record in a good long while. Um, but 
I can say that we are working on some stuff now. I just finished mm-hmm. making a record in Baltimore last yeah. week with my other band. So What's the other band? Brief Lives from here in town. Did you just play – were you one of the bands that was on that bill with Hot Dolphin? That, mm-hmm. Yeah. We played the other night. It was awesome. I really wanted fun. to come, but I'm scared of Strange Matter when it's over 80 degrees outside. Can't. It was fun. It was super <laughs> fun. And there, we're playing there again on the 23rd with Planes Mistaken for Stars. Brief Lives is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Brief Lives is playing on the first, uh, if you don't care about me plugging, playing on oh. the first at Hardywood. Um, is that with RPG? With RPG. Yeah, yeah. And then Valiant Thor's playing on the 25th, or no, the 26th, and that's a Sunday, in Chapel Hill. Uh, with that's our first show back with uh, Future Islands and Danny Brown and Ed Schrader and Dan Deacon. It's going to be a pretty fun show. Mm-hmm. It's it's their it's their thousandth show, Future Islands thousandth show, and I think it's 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 very very close to our two thousandth show. I'm going to find out what number it is before we play, but um, it's very 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 close to our two thousandth wow. show. You guys are uh, you know the. It, it reminds me of, and I mean, I talk about like going through downtimes. I mean, I've I've gone through. I'm 45 years old now, and I've gone through these periods of like I just don't really give a shit about anything anymore. Not rock and roll fashion and rock who's cool and bands and politics or any of this kind of stuff. I just like don't want to get fucked with, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just want to have my shit and not get fucked with, you know. But um, I think it's it's inspiring me actually to to listen to y- you guys political message and and a lot of like the stuff that you talk about is not it's not just like it's not political like you know discord where we're talking about not always like specific it's not anti-flag political it's uh you know it's more philosophical you know it's like be aware uh, awareness you know you can either be a drone you could be asleep you know you could be being manipulated or you could uh, avail yourself of (laughs) information and be in the know and right. not be one of those people that's getting a sheep, you know. Who's yeah, getting, and that comes you know. from not only, you know, uh, being aware of politics, but that comes – the whole awareness and and around your – aware of what's going around and backing out of your problems and looking at it. I mean that comes from reading, you know, sci-fi as well like mm-hmm. Philip Dick and, yeah. um, and people like that were always uh, – you know, talking about you know, as, I mean, it might just come from paranoid literature, and, and, and you know, uh, and embracing that, uh, embracing paranoia. Well, questioning. To, I mean, that's yeah, that's really what I mean. Philip K. Dick was paranoid, but he was asking good questions. Exactly. You know. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You don't have to go to the extreme. Uh, you know, there. But I mean, I think everything about all that kind of stuff. No matter if you're a visual artist or an audible artist or a or. A, a writer, those things have always attracted me, and that's you know that definitely has influenced me. Well, like well. you said, backing out of your problems. So, what we don't usually know is available to us is another perspective on our own perspective. You know, like we usually most people are just this is it. How I'm responding, how I'm reacting, how I'm thinking right now is it. You know, and like many of us who I think choose the creative side of life have some awareness or awakening happen to us when we're on the track to be one of those people who just I am who I am I believe what I believe and I'm not going to change anything some little crack gets in there and you can always back out of your perspective and the purpose of practicing art and making all this music is to sort of continue to 
contemplate that and to practice that. Like, how do I get another look at this? You know, because when you're in it, you're fucking neck deep in some shit. You're you can't you know? see you can't <laughs> right. see beyond it, the forest right. for the trees and all that. But yeah, if you you know, I, I think about it when you know, like on Christmas vacation when uh, Chevy Chase throws the son Rusty the big ball of Christmas lights, and he's like looks up and it's like a very comedic like oh what am i gonna how the fuck am i gonna get all these lights untangled but you have to to untangle it to untangle any web you can't be caught up in that web Mm -hmm. right you gotta be looking at it from outside of it so Mm -hmm. that's sort of you know whenever the shit's going down you have to get creative and find a way to figure it out Mm -hmm. and i've gotten pretty good at that over the years Mm -hmm. of like you know we were we were always self-managed we always if we were getting into trouble you know if it was with the law, it's like, well, well we don't want to th- – here's the consequences. This is what we can do to figure it out, and we would figure it out. Or if it was – you know, not, there wasn't a lot of those, thankfully. But if it was with, you know, whatever it was, like if, if people had some kind of, you know, existential crisis, I mean, you have to, like, come to terms with what's going on and, mm-hmm. you know, make a plan, figure it out. Yeah. And so that's that gets written into the into it because that's you know that's how we deal with stuff. Problem solvers. That's mm-hmm. what we always say. Yeah. You got to be a problem solver. Mhm. And that's the thing, you know, like I guess you guys are the, you know maybe a modern version of the MC5, you know, like that I the, take that as a compliment. Yeah. I mean, have, it's very very well balanced in that kind of shit. I mean, you're going to get your ass rocked and you're going to get your face melted by what's going on in that stage and you definitely commit 100 and you know plus percent to that i see you up there breathing hard and you know it's like you're not up there fucking around it's like every shows that i've seen is completely committed and it always takes me there but there's also um there's politics in there i mean in the mc5 they were the one band that showed up at the democratic national convention in chicago and played in the middle of all that shit with Mm -hmm. cops riding motorcycles through the crowd and busting people's heads open and they put their money where their mouth is yeah you know so you're not just talking shit you live in this shit. But what's different is that I think, you know, revolution is great, but you got to have evolution with the revolution, you know. And it's, it's what I always say because mm-hmm. if you think about the word, a revolution just goes around in a circle and it comes back to it's the same fucking, place. Right. It comes back to the same place. But if you're thinking about a circle, uh, you know, on, on like a plane and you're just running around in circles, that's mm-hmm. your revolution. What about if you took an elevator up? Mm-hmm. That's your evolution. Go up. Mm-hmm. Drop the R. Go mm-hmm. for an evolution. Yeah. Think outside of it. Go to another. I mean, you have to have an evolution, not so a there's got to be a balance of, like, drawing attention to some shit that you cannot, you know, you can't live with. You're just like, this is not cool. I'm a rage against this thing, you know. But also recognize, like, what needs to change in you to be an effective agent of that change, you know. Yeah, I mean. And, like, what's what's personal there? Why you just got a problem. Your ego is having a problem with this it, yeah. because you're not recognized by this because they fucking – most of what's called racism that's going on in the South is white people who think they're marginalized, <laughs> you know, and think yeah. they're being replaced by black people and Mexicans. You know, they're just – they're scared, you know. It's really not hate. It's It doesn't fear. even make any yeah. sense to me. Yeah. But but the part about, you know, just ranting and saying you're going to kill somebody or you're going to beat somebody up, I mean, that doesn't solve any kind of problems anyway. So wh- how are you going to channel that that madness or that anger like that's what figuring stuff out is, uh, you know, dealing with problems is a lot easier than like 
because, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Break shit? Like, break a window. Great. Yeah. You fucking broke a window. Now clean it up, asshole. Right. Like, I mean. It's a tantrum. Yeah. I mean, there there is no, you know, you have to deal a lot with that. People, I don't know. I don't even know. And just and them acting it out on the stage, you say Fugazi, and you see you see if you ever got to see Fugazi, you see them stop the show and be like, "Don't kick his ass!" Like we're not going to play anymore if you guys are going to be doing that. I always say, you know, like come on, like bring if you're going to be fight kicking each other's ass, I don't really give a shit that your asses are getting kicked. Get go to the back, yeah. let the girls come up front, stop fucking touching them, right? You know, like go to the back and kick each other's ass. These people up here want to dance. And I saw this post yesterday by Tony from the Adolescents. They played in Salt Lake City, and he uh, he said that this, you know some jocks got were like getting up on stage and pushing them out of the way to jump on their friends, and had this really, really big long post. He's like, you know, like come on, man, I'm 52 fucking years old. Like I do this for fun. I don't ever need to come to Salt Lake City again. You know, like, I, I don't do this. For, and, and, like, people were yelling at him, calling him a pussy and stuff. Like, you know, like, this is punk rock, man. Like, no, it's not. This is, you know, what do you fucking think punk rock is? Like, who gives a fuck about punk rock? Who gives a fuck about any of that shit? Any of the names you would call it? Any of it. It's like, if you're, I don't know. I don't understand. I guess, I guess it's just like, you can't. Anything I could say, we're already thinking, you know, like some big jock asshole pushes people out of the way. Like all you want to do is is grab that jock asshole and just choke him out until he re- like wakes up somewhere. He's like, what happened? Right. What did I do? But you can't do that because it doesn't really solve. No, it doesn't right. teach him the lesson. Like and we go back to the George Jefferson. You and can't beat anything thing. in. Yeah. You can't beat anything into their heads. No, people have to have an, uh, uh, you know, like it has to be like the kid who sees. George Jefferson do the right fucking thing regardless of whether or not the guy hates him yeah. or not. And and from that example, he has an epiphany and yeah. he's a, aware. That's the only thing. You know, yeah. you can't go around fucking telling people what to do. You can't be beating them into it. Yeah. You've got to live the fucking example. Exactly. So, like, there's got to be this balance between, okay, I don't like this. I'm going to be something else. Yeah. And I'm going to be out there showing people, like, this is how you do it, motherfucker. Not yeah. like that, like this, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> That's what my the singer for my band used to say. He's like, I, I he leads a construction team, and he'd be like, I didn't have to do a lot of work, but every so often I had to put my belt on and say, not like that motherfucker, like this, you know. But that's that's the thing that we're missing amongst our peers, you know, is that we got a lot of people want to get on Facebook and post a bunch of fucking articles and get all outraged and get all worked up, you know, but they're not doing anything to improve the basic fabric of their daily life yeah. by not being an asshole. You know, doing something nice for somebody else, you know. Yeah. And it does help. <laughs> and it comes back if you do that. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I try to do that and I usually get treated nicely. Mm-hmm. I'm not scared to walk around anywhere. You know, we were making this record in Baltimore and uh, this guy was like, I walked to a Whole Foods and I walked maybe through a questionable neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but this guy's like pulls up in a van. And he's like, "Are you lost?" And we're like, "No." He's like, "Do you need a ride?" And we're like, "No." He's like, "Well, you know where you are, right?" I was like, "Baltimore." And he's like, "Well, be careful, man." And just like, "Huh," and just drove off. And it's like, "Look, man, if you treat people how you're going to be treated, if you, how you want to be treated, then you shouldn't be scared to walk anywhere." Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be smart, but fuck That's being scared. Stuff. It's a fuck felt, being scared. Right? I'm, I'd get so sick of like this 
people perpetuating this myth that right. you have to be, I mean, what am I supposed to be scared of? A black guy or scared of some kind of, I'm not, you know, I'm not scared because I, I think I'm tough. I'm not scared because I have no reason to be like, mm-hmm. I, I treat, you know, like I don't see a threat. I don't see anything but other people, you know? And I think right. that's how people who are like, um, humanist or mm-hmm. what, I don't know what the fucking word is because I don't subscribe to some kind of like thing, but what is it? Is it humanist or human, uh, humanitarian, mm-hmm. like a humanitarian? Like if you, if you think that everybody deserves the same shit, like no matter what it is, shelter, water, food, and you do anything you can to help them, no matter what the problem is, then that's, you know, I don't see anything wrong with subscribing to that <laughs> philosophy no, I mean, or theology. Uh, you know, like I, and then, and then when you do that, that's it. That. I don't feel scared. I don't feel scared to drive a cab around Richmond. You know, no matter what neighborhood I'm picking somebody up in and dropping them off, I'm providing a service. I'm mm-hmm. doing my job. Uh, you know, what if a fucking, you know, what if a fucking plane falls on my on, on right. my house or my head? Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and that is have fun, play music, make art, make mm-hmm. friends, and meet people and go about my life not yeah. scared. That some yeah. some weird I'm gonna get kidnapped or some fucking it's, it's weird not the, shit. It's not the stance that like I mean you base shit on faith instead of fear, you know. And I don't mean faith in like a, a you know some kind of opiate of the masses, but yeah. the idea that things could be good. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I should not assume it's gonna be bad. Yeah, you know, it's like a positive thing. There are neighbors. I mean, I worked on in the street in Baltimore, just going visiting restaurants for my job at one point. And that, and I grew up in this neighborhood, and I've lived in a lot of these, like Lower East Side, Manhattan, and shit. That is definitely something special they've got going there. Yeah. Where, and it's just super desperate people. So it doesn't matter if you're nice or not. There are people in that neighborhood that are going to attack you and take what you got because they got nothing. Yeah. You know. But this idea that we're just going to drive through there and say this place is fucked up, stay out of here. That's yeah. just that's not never going to change that. It's never going to improve that. You know. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, it is such a complex problem and. I, I can't even participate in the conversations half the time because I have t- t- taken a lot of time in my life to dissect what are all of the threads running through all of this, you know. Yeah. And and everybody wants to make it big black and white stories, you know, big like this or that, yeah. you know. And it ain't because this is – these are some concentrations of the fucking manifestations of basic human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it at its most imbalanced yeah. in, in these places. Like you said, I don't think – not only did your record label not set out to fuck you over – None of these businesses, the healthcare industry, uh, the GMOs, I mean the uh, Monsantos, these people did not set out to become evil organizations that hurt people. Yeah. They set out to make money to ensure that their product would last, to ensure that they had a predictable supply of food for people, tomatoes that last when you drive them from California to Richmond and can sit on the shelf for a while. That's all they were really trying to do, yeah. you know. And now they're selfishly trying to protect what they've done from people dismantling it, you know, because they need it. It's for their families and all the other people that work for them. And so they're, like, trying to stop that from happening. And it's not – they're not, you know, they're not the Joker. They're not some awful arch villain. Yeah. You know, and everyone of us has it in us to set shit up selfishly. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to preserve what we need for ourselves and get threatened if somebody's trying to fuck with it and, you know – and not be able to let go of that yeah. a little bit, you know? And so when we want to rail against that shit, we got to be aware 
what do we do? What do I do every fucking day that's like Monsanto? You know, what do I do that's like Dick Cheney? You know, what do I do that's warmonger, war pig shit? Because those guys are just human beings, just like you or me. You know, and I'm like, not sure if Dick Cheney is really a human being. Or not. <laughs> He's I'd a cyborg. Very, actually, I'd be very, very. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he came out to be some kind of alien. He's a very sick human being probably <laughs> yeah. he's been in this shit since the nixon administration you know he's a fucking he's he's a he's been playing the game a long time he he's might not be the joker but i'm pretty sure he's the penguin he does look exactly like the penguin <laughs> yeah like he just needs the monocle and the top hat but you know what i'm saying is that like it behooves in order to be in a f- for your evolution you can't like if all all of the counter culture it, that is is countering the same culture you're not really learning anything. You're not changing anything. You you have defined yourself based on what you're not. Yeah. You know, and like I got to see how am I like Dick Cheney, you know? <laughs> how can I not be any more like that? Yeah. You know, and I mean I'm sure that guy was just really fucking ambitious guy. You know, he wanted to be a rock star. Politics is showbiz for ugly people, as they say. Yeah. And he found his thing. You know, he found his shtick. He started playing Gigi Allen for the conservatives, you know, yeah. and it stuck. That's yeah. his brand now. Mm. Yeah. But uh, um, you, the taxi driving, you like for Napoleon, you dig that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do dig that. Get a lot of good stories out of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> I would believe it. Just My girlfriend from last year was driving for Napoleon, and she came home and told me the fucking stories every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, it's just you get a lot of stories on the road in a band, but you can you could pretty much get just as many in a few weeks. I mean, we're talking years of stories on the road mm-hmm. become weeks of stories in a cab. It's pretty nuts every single night in a cab. But then again, you just it's totally regular sometimes as well. It can, you know, it changes as soon as a different person gets in. Mhm. You have no idea, like, and it, and it cuts all the way through class, cuts all the way through every kind of, you know, no matter what, everybody takes cabs, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I know a lot of people take Ubers and everything as well, but with a cab, like, you get people who don't even have credit cards, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so you get, you get everything, yeah. you get the poorest of the poor, super rich, um, you know, completely sober, completely wasted, you know, criminals, uh, Jesus, holy roller freaks. Like, I mean, every everything. And it's awesome. And I just record them because I can't remember all the stuff that happens at mm-hmm. night. I you just do re- record them? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I took one last week, and the girl that picked me up, her name was Tamika, and she told me a story that I really needed to hear at the time. And it ended up tying in with all of this other shit. And it ended up being like this really cool moment. So I want you, without thinking too hard about it, tell me one of your favorite stories from recently that really stuck with you. Um, I don't know. I just, I mean, I have a cache of them, but I can't think of them, man. I put you on the spot too much. Eh? Yeah, I just, it, I haven't, I literally been recording all week, so my brain's kind of. Uh, my brain's kind of a mess, but you know, it'll go from like what, when I think about the extremes of it, it'll go from picking up a, um, 
you know, like a 74-year-old chess champion from Sweden and talking to him about chess for like 30 minutes to driving around a tranny prostitute to different Johns for like four hours. <laughs> uh, so it is just nuts, man. You know, like, and you know, you get good, cool things that happen. You help people. Like they, I definitely am used as a, as a, um, what you'd say an armchair psychiatrist or like, cause or whatever for, you know, I get dudes who jump in and, and like tell me stuff that they wouldn't tell anybody else just cause they can and they got to get it off their chest and they're so jazzed on what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild, man. I, I love it a lot and, and it's, it's a great job. Like I used to think that maybe the best job to do if you were, well, the best job probably would be being a bartender, but you can't be a bartender all the time and be on the road and gone because when you come back, somebody's got your spot. Mm-hmm. Substitute teaching is what I used to think was the best one, but no way, no way, shape, or form. I love being a teacher. I loved being a teacher. I've taught sixth You've grade. I taught sixth graders for three years wow. in Chapel Hill, uh, but way better than that is driving a cab because you don't have to put up with any. It's not about the kids. The kids mm-hmm. are great. The kids are a roller coaster of emotions. Like, but the the parents are what you know. Like yeah. you said, habits, beliefs, desires. Who you learn it from. You got some evil parents, and some of them are great people, but they're just really bad, and they don't even know they're how no, bad they're better. warping their children. And then, you know, some of them use you as as I uh, they're using you as a babysitter, or you know, they just are or some of them are bad parents, or some of them are just bad people, mm-hmm. or some of them are using spending their rent money on crack instead of rent. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's too much of an emotional roller coaster for me yeah. to get on get on and off of, and it doesn't pay very much. Whereas in like you know drive a cab, you can make as much in in tips mm-hmm. uh, in one night as you can during the day. You know, so yeah, I'll stick to driving a cab when I'm not on the road for for a while anyway. Someday I'll be too old to rock, and maybe too old to drive a cab too, and I'll mm-hmm. go I'll back to being a, a painting professor. Is that what you did? What you, that too? You were a painting professor? I taught figure drawing in East Carolina when I was getting my master's. Um, and that's what, that's is that what, what your master's is in, in painting and printmaking? Or? Fine, fine arts and painting and drawing. Uh, I did a, I did a lot of printmaking at the end. At when I kind of found out that I loved printmaking right as I was finishing up my uh, master's. And there's, there's he's retired. Now. I don't know if he's retired or not, but he, he, was, he wasn't in there as much. Uh, but I had like several great, professors and i stayed at east carolina university after getting my undergrad because i had Mm -hmm. such good professors and i had so much more to learn from them so i stayed an extra couple years for grad school but in painting in drawing in printmaking i had some of the best like after traveling the world now Mm -hmm. some of the most amazing dudes uh who you know made amazing art as well Mm -hmm. to learn from so you know I don't think that I was pretty good at teaching figure drawing from, you know, I was a, I was a, a sh- kind of a shitty figure artist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as a student, and then I was a, I was a model, like I did, you know, a model. And then, but I got to soak in what, you know, from five different professors or six. And so then whenever I made up my syllabus, I took the best stuff from each mm-hmm. of theirs and made like a super curriculum. 
And I think that's how I yeah. mean you can look at the students' work from when I from when I taught. It's it became it, from day one to the end got really the good. The legacy of um, all the masters that went before. I made a nice. Uh, I got a nice uh, little body of work out of those guys because, you know, I'd put together something that was really a, a good method. You know, mm-hmm. and my work got better as well. Mm-hmm. So you gonna do any shows around here of your art? Well, I mean, if I, if I ever find time, I'm uh, I'm supposed to be having one in Dallas, Texas, in October, but I'm also supposed to be in Europe with Valiant Thor in October. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I'll get it all done in time and there and. And figured out. I'm not sure if I'll be able to go to the. It's according to when the. I don't even have the October tour dates yet. I have some of them. I see some of the posters showing up online now, but I don't have the whole lineup. And uh, so we shall see. When I listen back to this, I'll know all the dates. But I'm friends with Valiant Thor on Facebook, so I can see when mm-hmm. you guys are playing. I'm looking forward to that. Last show at Strange Matter was great. What are you listening to these days? You're digging. What am I listening to? Um, I listen to a lot of Polvo, yeah, uh, old Chapel Hill band. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a couple of those guys were Helium with Mary Timoney too, right? Is that well? Correct? I th- I think Ash Bowie was in Helium. I yeah. think he was her. Like, think Boyfriend they dated or... for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, or a good while, or something. I'm not familiar, but I know. Yeah, I'm a big Polvo fan. And uh, what else have I been listening to? Um. Uh, I really liked the the anti mask thing that came out last. I guess it came out last year or at the end of the year. It's uh, the guy from Mars Volta, Cedric. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. And uh, it's his band. It's like it's more like uh, if you go back to uh, the at the drive in days and mm-hmm. mix it with a little bit of Rush mm-hmm. and maybe maybe a little bit of Mars Volta. But it was really you know take Mars Volta and say they just throw out all the jam and then just make some short. Rush mm-hmm. sounding songs. Anti mask. Anti anti mask. Yeah. I have to check that out. Mask spelled with a Q and anti with an E instead of an I. Anti mask. So was it Cedric Bixler? Is that the guy? Yeah, it's Vaughn. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really, really good. And there's something else that I was jamming. Um, I just went to see the Rolling Stones. I took my mom to see them last week in, uh, in or two weeks ago now in in Raleigh, and somebody gave me the the audio from the show so i was rocking that how was that show it was really good yeah it was really amazing um i had night throw tickets so i felt really really special in that crowd of like forty four thousand. yeah just kept you know i've played big shows in europe where there's these big festivals where there's tons and tons of people um but I don't know that I've ever sat in one that was that big of a crowd where I was that far up front, you know, um, that I actually would. I mean, I didn't even pay to see it, but mm-hmm. where I was a participant and I wasn't involved in the show, you know, mm-hmm. like I might have been on stage with, you know, like the Stooges in mm-hmm. France at Hellfest, but it wasn't like I was in the crowd, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a different thing. Yeah. See, seeing them in a, in a in a stadium like that it just reminds me of like – you know, people seeing the dead and, and mm-hmm. a long time ago. Um, I was in Columbus, I guess, when they started that tour. I intersected with them there. And I've never really, I've just kind of given up on the idea of seeing them because I just thought, well, they're not going to be any good in a big old stadium like that now. Like, who cares? It's like, I, I'll just listen to my records from the late 60s and 70s. And, sure. But uh, I was hanging on my friend's porch, and we could hear them. 
like start the show at all like a couple miles away and i was like wow this sounds really good like and we got on our bikes and rode down there and hung outside of the the stadium and it sounded amazing it's like they're still the rolling stones oh man it was it was really really good yeah yeah but yeah my brain's too fried to decide what i've been listening to i I don't i i I have like i said an extensive tape collection still Mm -hmm. yeah my dad passed away i went and got all my tapes and then i was posting up pictures of some and my buddies would be like you still collect tapes here i my old lady's been wanting me to get these out of the garage forever so i acquired and somebody else's collection of tapes wow. on the mine and so my tape collection is pretty nuts i think right now in there i grabbed uh just today i grabbed a uh, neil young stars and bars and cure disintegration and um uh i think a george jones and something else just I always grab a couple different ones for mm-hmm. the day dinosaur jr you got a tape player in the yeah car yeah yeah that was big I, my dad's got a shitload of tapes and i've i've only like mine have like just kind of scattered to the winds like we had a drawer full at our apartment in new york everybody's tapes were just in there and it was like a jumble like there was no they had started out in yeah. you know rows and there was just this drawer full of tapes and just go in there and grab shit and i liked i loved the tape as a medium especially when it was burnt when it was recorded by somebody else and it just had the name of the album yeah on it because it felt like without the track listings and all that shit that you were going in to this cassette you know it was like you start playing you go in there and you spend the whole 90 minutes or 45 minutes per side just listen to the whole thing you know take a little journey in there and you could take it with you everywhere so you could kind of have that album listening experience on the go mm-hmm. you know but uh, well, speaking of going, I guess you probably got to go. Yeah, I got to yeah. split pretty gotta, soon. That's okay. Wrap this up. You, yeah, you want to keep rolling, or you want to well, we wrap I, it I got, up? I got to roll. I All right, man. Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, thanks for coming over here. That was Absolutely. a really cool talk. I really appreciate it. Yeah, he had to go. I'm glad he came over and we had that conversation. I got to talk to somebody whose music I dig. Oh, yeah, speaking of that, they are playing, well, his other band, Brief Lives, is playing August 1st with RPG at Hardywood. That's this Saturday. And um, I know he said that Valiant Thor is playing soon, so just keep an eye out for that. I forget where. I mean, well, you heard it. You just heard it, didn't you? So maybe you made a note of that. I didn't just listen to this again. I recorded this like weeks ago. So I don't listen to them again until later after I do this. But I try not to really listen to them. That's like very narcissistic too, right? You wouldn't think that I have a problem with listening to myself talk, would you? Because I like to do it on here. But I have my limits. I'm not a complete Hope everybody else is doing good out there, man. As this summer wanes on. Um, I'm trying to get actually get summer-like about it and get my ass outside. I went down to Belle Alley on uh, Saturday. No, sun- Sunday. I got up early and really went to the gym and got on my bike and rode down there fucking basked on a rock like a lizard laid in water like that monkey in Baraka looking around trying to just chill in the river 
I was talking to somebody the other day about fucking around in that river. And I was kind of wondering why. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it used to be disgusting. I mean, they used to just dump shit in there and chemicals. But um, they don't do that anymore. And the river is actually pretty nice. It's clean. It's clear. It's not gross to get in the James River anymore. You're not going to have a cut on your leg. You're not going to look at it an hour after getting out of there and realize it's infected. Enjoy the James River. Enjoy your summer. And try to get outside and stop sitting around your fucking house watching Netflix with a hangover. You gotta live your life. You only get one. Namaste, motherfucker.